0: And uh, I usually cry, which is not surprising, but today God replaced that, that remembrance of my sin, uh, I, I think for the purpose of the song, which is to remind us of our salvation in Christ. And uh, my, ho- my heart is overwhelming of joy, and uh, so thankful for my salvation, and I hope you are uh, rejoicing in yours as well. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn to the gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 2, where uh, where Paul read from uh, earlier. And um, so we're going to be looking at the entire chapter, actually. And um, so knowing that it's a familiar passage, um, I want to encourage you or at least explain that I'm not going to cover every nuance Of all the details. I'm just, I'm just, I don't, I'm not going to do that today. We, we, we hear this text a lot in, um, uh, at Christmas time. And often we'll go to, um, uh, we'll go to uh, Luke chapter three as well, chapter two and three as well. Not seeing it up there. I'm wondering, are you guys seeing my screen uh, up there yet? No, no, you're not seeing it. All right. Well, let's escape and try it again. How about now? All right. Well, Aaron's going to have to come fix that. I don't know what that's all about. Um, but it's all right because I have an opening illustration I want to give that doesn't require any slides. And uh, so as he comes on up and does whatever he does, uh, I-, I want everybody's attention because this is-, this is planned. Not this, but this. Um, and that is this. Uh, I want you to be on the edge of your seat as I, as I tell you, how would you feel if I decided to point at you at this very moment and tell you, you have to come in front of all these people and share what God has done in your life yesterday. All right? So I'm thinking about, I'm going to just get the finger moving. All right? How does it feel to know that I may point at one of you, and out of the blue, I may point at you and say, "Come up here and give uh, give a witness." Thank you, Aaron. Give a witness to what God is doing in your life. I don't know about you, but prior to being in ministry, uh, that little wagging finger would have freaked me out. I would have been, not me. Uh, I told you recently, I went down to my 40th high school uh, reunion, and in preparation for it, Christine and I went, and she didn't go to my high school, but we're flipping through the photos, and, and there was about 200 plus graduates in my class, and, and I'm remembering some people, and, and I look at some, I just had to read some of the notes, and one of them was from my speech teacher, and uh, I had two teachers sign my notes. Uh, the first one was my, my math teacher who said, Greg, you'll never know how much you missed in our class. But if anybody needed beauty sleep, it's you. That's the kind of teacher that she was, and, and she was right. I was an interesting character back in high school. All right, but the other teacher was my speech teacher, and she says, you are definitely one of the most improved speakers. Now, think about that for a minute. What is she saying? A lot, because I went from being scared out of my mind to be able to do a half-decent job of communicating something, all right? And I always, I don't know, I don't I keep in touch with her, but I, I kind of, I always laugh if she knew what I did for a living now. Um, maybe I'd still be one of the most improved or not. I don't know. But as we, as we go through here, the reason I'm, I was wagging the finger and trying to get you, I want you to, what it, I've titled this, this sermon, The Unexpected King, there are things that happen in life that are totally unexpected. And if I had pointed at you this morning without warning, without any notice whatsoever, and I said, I need you to tell everybody in this room and everybody joining us in Internet land, you know, what God is doing in your life, most of you, I am pretty confident, would be like, not today, Pastor. That's not happening. I'd be a little, that would be unexpected of me to do that, and I'm not going to do that for you today today. But as we talk about Jesus and we talk about him being king and as we talk about his kingdom being inaugurated on this earth, you know, we have to deal with this particular chapter, chapter 2, and understand this whole Jesus thing that's in, that's in the Bible, right, that's being explained to us, completely unexpected for most people as we talk about the gospel. So we're, we're going to get into this uh, idea that Jesus is the unexpected king whose arrival threatens the status quo. All right, I'll leave that there for a minute, right? This, there's, there's an unexpected, when things are unexpected, such as, such as me calling you out to give a testimony or the death of a loved one or, or the surprise visit of a family member, right? Th- those type things, they, will, they upset the status quo. Well, what does status quo mean? I looked it up. The definition of status quo is the existing state of affairs, the norm especially regarding social and political issues when the existing state of affairs are are upset right jesus is the unexpected king whose arrival it threatens the norm it threatens the comfortable it threatens some aspect of your life and and so when jesus came on the scene he honestly it really threw some people for for quite a, a ride so we see in, in, in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, these are some of the main characters. They're not all the characters, but there's are some of the main characters that are going to be taking place uh, in this chapter as well as uh, throughout the book. But really, mainly in this chapter, we see Jesus. Obviously, he's the focus of why we gather, and he's the focus of this section. We're, we're still building upon chapter 1, which was the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We've talked about how Jesus is the son of David, the promised king, the promised deliverer, the one that Israel was looking forward to. God had foretold of this coming one who would be a descendant of Abraham and also a descendant of David, and, and, and we know him to be Jesus. But not everybody knew this, and so that we're told the second character we're going to look at today, who's very prominent in the, at least the majority of this chapter, is Herod, the king. We'll talk more about him in detail later, but but he is the king of the Jews right now. He has been appointed by Rome over the the, 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 the area of Jerusalem and and and, uh, and Israel as as a whole, whatever its uh, borders were at that time. And then we're introduced to these wise men, uh, the Magi. They're referred to, and and so uh, some call it the the kings right. So. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mention them a little bit later, but we see that in, in, in uh, after Jesus was born, we, in Bethlehem, that's important. Um, in the days of Herod, that's a time reference. We haven't really been given much of a time reference at this point, but this is very important for us to place the birth of Jesus. Uh, I think Herod died in 4 B.C. is what is estimated, and and so if, if Jesus was on the scene before, that means Jesus' birthday was probably a little earlier than the year one. Uh, but uh, So we, we see Herod the king, and then we have these wise men are coming from the east. So these are westerners. You know, when you think about the globe and you think about the Middle East, think, think of where Israel is and think go west. They, they traveled from the west to the east to come to Jerusalem, saying, and they asked this question, right? They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, when we talk about these wise men, uh, we're talking. We we tradition. It is tradition. It's only tradition that we use three. The main reason people think there's three is because there was gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and it and it makes it more. Uh, it just makes it easier to picture three kings with a little box, you know. All right, but these are not necessarily kings, although they could be. They're they're wise men. They're they're magi. They're magicians. There could be one, both, all, uh, as we talk about it, these are, these are people, these are astrologers is another word that's used, not astrology, but astrologers, so they're looking for signs in the heavens, and, and as what we have to believe are pagan, they're not Jewish, what we have to believe are pagan people, uh, I will say Gentiles, uh, they, they're, they're looking in the skies for signs, and lo and behold, God gives them a sign. We'll look at that sign in a few minutes, but it says, "Where is he who was born king of the Jews?" So this is, this is news that is going to catch some people off guard. And, and so it's unsuspecting, right? It's, it wasn't planned to happen, but it happened. Who were they asking? Well, they said, "For where is this king who was born the king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him." And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. You can imagine Herod being troubled at the news as the current king of Israel to, to, to see, the current king of the Jews, to, to hear that there is one who was born king of the Jews. He's the appointed. He's, a, he's an uh, uh, he, he's not, he's not He's not of the line of David. But he has been appointed by Rome, and he is a horrible king. Well, look more at how horrible he can get later, but I'm telling you, he is not a good person. Uh, so he, this question, these, these, these wise men come, and who are they asking? Well, they're, apparently they're asking Herod." Because when he heard them say this, so he's hearing it with his own ears, he was troubled. It's kind of like the finger, like, what is going on? What, th- what is this coming to my ears that, that there is someone who's been born king of the Jews? Just so you know, the reason this was so unexpected for, for Herod, and I might mention this again, uh, he was very suspicious of those around him. And if he thought anyone was seeking to take his power, he had them killed. To include at least two, possibly three of his own sons, He had his, what is called, I read it in multiple places, had his favorite wife murdered because he suspected her of something and then later on found out he was wrong. This is a wicked individual, and and he really loved his power and influence and his role. And, And so when he heard that there was this one born king, it troubled him, and you can imagine. It goes on to say that all Jerusalem with him. But I think they're I think they're probably troubled for different reasons. I think they know Herod. They hear this news and they're like, "Uh oh, what's he going to do now? What is going on? What is he? He's obviously capable of doing horrific things again, which we'll talk about. But all of Jerusalem. Well, how did Jerusalem know? Well, because these wise men weren't probably, they could be, it, it was at least two, could be three, could be ten. It, whatever, whoever they were, tradition says three, but it's just tradition. There, there was an entourage. There was a large gathering. When they came into the city of Jerusalem, they didn't, know it was the main city of the area. The star had led them there, and they go into the city, and they ask this question, and it causes a lot of uproar and a lot of concern. So as the unexpected king, are talking about Jesus here, Jesus is the unwanted king. And, and we're going to talk about two groups of people, one individual and then a group of people who really, this news wasn't good. They didn't want Jesus, right? So first of all, Jesus is unwanted by King Herod because he's king. We've already touched on that. We'll touch upon it more in chapter, uh, verses 13 through 18. But he was also unwanted by, of all people, the religious leaders and, and and watch what what the text says here, in verse four. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, this is this is uh, Herod pulling them together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And I, what I wanted to just pause here for a minute and say this is this was Herod's inquiry where the Christ was to be born. Isn't it interesting that the the wise men said where is the Born king, the newborn king. And he says the question, where is the Christ? I don't know if you've caught this before, but in light of what we're talking about with Jesus being the son of David, the Christ, the, the anointed one, is expected to be a king. And we see that very clearly as, as uh, uh, it was common to, I guess, interchange those terms at one level because he is threatened because a king has been announced. But then the question he asked to these chief priests and scribes are, where is the Christ to be born? Verse 5, So they said to him, notice this, They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There's a lot that we could talk about here that we're not going to this morning because as we talk about this shepherd first of all, that is also in line with, uh, with a son of David. David was a shepherd. Uh, there's a lot going on here that actually, especially in this text, would actually draw us back to remember the story of Moses. Moses also shepherded, if you remember, after he left Egypt and came into uh, uh, where he met his wife and, and father-in-law. and he, shep- he was a shepherd of sheep before he went back to Egypt to be the deliverer uh, during the exodus. But I want you to, our focus right now is on these chief priests and scribes. I, I've said that they, they don't want Jesus. Jesus is unwanted. They don't want anything to do with him. How do we know that? Well, first of all, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. I'm in ministry, right? I mean, New Testament-wise, we are all kings and we are all priests. We are all priests, right? I mean, we, we, we are. Well, that's another theological discussion for another day. But we're all priests. And so here are these religious leaders you would think their dominating perspective of life would be to tell other people about religious things. And when, when Herod asked the question, there was no pause. There was like, where is the Christ to be born? In, in Bethlehem of Judea. They knew the answer. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They understood the prophecy. And, and, and by the way, that's another. This, this section of scripture could be divided by... Uh, uh, Old Testament quotations, there's five of them in chapter 1 and 2, at least five, but there's four of them here in chapter 2, and, um, and we could break it down. They're very significant. We also do it geographically. We have all kinds of different places listed. I'm breaking it down slightly different, more of a in story mode here as we walk through this, but as we focus on the chief priests, they knew, they knew where the Christ, the king, was to be born. Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem. Uh, So I want to just clarify, Herod is sending. Who is he sending? He's sending the wise men, right? The the magi, the whoever. He's saying they've arrived in Jerusalem. They were told it's in Bethlehem you have to go. So he sends them to Bethlehem, and he says, go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Because of what we learn about Herod in the, in the coming verses, we know this is not true. Worship was the farthest thing from his mind. But remember, the focus isn't on Herod right now. Herod certainly didn't want Jesus. Jesus was unwanted in his mind, but Jesus is unwanted by the religious leaders or they were at least, even if their interest was, was, was piqued at some level, they didn't follow through with it because it, it, he's unwanted because they didn't go with the wise men. If I were living back in that day and I knew the Old Testament Scriptures and I knew that the prophecy of God said that the, that the, the Christ, the coming King, the promised one all the way from, from, from the Garden of Eden through Abraham, through David uh, that has been witnessed through all the prophets and if I hear and I say these wise men are come because there's this star in the sky and it's pointing in this direction I'm telling you, I'm there. I think you would be too. But these particular religious leaders, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And what we find out, the, they, their, their successors also wanted nothing to do with Jesus. As we go through the whole Gospel of Matthew, we'll find... That their descendants, and when I say it, maybe they're literal descendants, or at least they're the following priests that are following in their footsteps. They want nothing to do with Jesus to the point where they can convince the people to scream, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" So Jesus is unwanted. So he's the unexpected king. But I want to just take a, a moment and pause here, and just point out he's still the unexpected king. Let's let's fast forward to the 21st century. I don't know about you, but in the 20th century, when I got saved, that's crazy, right? In the 20th century, when I got saved, it was completely unexpected, and I knew the name of Jesus. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, and I think it's genuine faith. I mean, when when someone comes to the realization that Jesus isn't just a name to be revered. He's a person to be worshipped as the son of God. He's the person to commit my life to. I recognized Jesus as a religious figure my entire life up until the point I realized he's the son of God who died for my sins. It was unexpected. I was very comfortable in my life. In my religious life, I was very comfortable. And it was unexpected when I was challenged to look at Jesus from a different perspective and understand he is king. So maybe... You're here this morning, and, and this idea of Jesus is, is, maybe it's unexpected. I don't know what God did, is doing in your life and what he might be drawing you to do, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, if at if so some level you're here unexpectedly, God has a plan, and we're part of that plan, and we talked about that last week. But Jesus is still the unexpected king, and, and he will make his presence known in your life. He will, and, and I ask you to just consider inviting him in. Uh, when he makes his presence known. So, Jesus is also the unwanted king, and I, I still say Jesus is still the unwanted king. I did not want Jesus in my life at one particular time. I've told you my testimony, but I do remember that one time where I say, You know, I'm gonna, whether I, I don't think I said it out loud, but I know I said it multiple times. One of these days, I'm gonna have to get serious about faith in Jesus. This is before I got saved. I was not necessarily thinking of the terms I'm thinking of now for sure, but I'm just saying I didn't want Jesus because it was, he was going to interrupt my life. I remember thinking, I haven't done this yet. 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 I had a whole list of things that were all sin that I had not done yet. And that was my, my bucket list, so to speak, Right. Once I filled the bucket with those things, then I can repent and get right with God. And it's like, no, that's foolishness. Jesus is still the unwanted king. And those are the people that we are living around and maybe with. I don't know what your context of life is, but I'm telling you, we are surrounded people that do not want Jesus as their king. And we need to love those people enough to tell them that Jesus is king, whether they want him or not. Jesus is still the unwanted king who disrupts the status quo. As much as Herod was upset and the whole city was troubled, when we talk about Jesus today, he's still in the business of disrupting the status quo, the norm. And maybe your norm is in need of interrupting right now. Maybe it's in need of being uh, uh, disrupted to the point where you can come to faith. Oftentimes, God will bring us to our knees so that we will come to recognize our weakness and his strength. We, he will take us to the point of being regretting the, the sin that has led us to the, this point in life that we are so upset about. And he will say, my grace is sufficient. And he will extend his grace and his forgiveness to you. So he's still uh, unwanted for sure. A third, one, a third part I want to see from this text in, in Matthew 2 is Jesus is the worship king. This is the good news, and it's, and it's beautiful, but there's some genuine significance going on in this text. Because Jesus is the worship king whose arrival brings outsiders in. I don't know if you've ever been, it felt like an outsider. My entire high school career I felt like an, I school, uh, excuse me, I felt like an outsider. I was not popular, Was not, nothing was going on, but I'll tell you When Jesus saved me, my whole life changed. And I knew I was in Christ in a way I was never before. And all this stuff about not being in the crowd and all that, I never felt outside of anything again in my life. Jesus is the worship king whose arrival brings outsiders in. The outsiders I'm talking about are the wise men. When they heard the king this is talking to the wise men, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I don't really have any highlighted here, but we know the story. I will say that as I didn't cry over there as a morning, I do feel joy in my heart that there is a morning where I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. These people are rejoicing, and, and I, I think this is significant for us to understand. They are Gentiles, more than likely pagans, who are doing the culturally expected thing of recognizing that they, they saw this sign in the heavens and they're saying, this is significant. The star wasn't there and now it is there. We have to go see. They, they perceived that that star represented some miraculous event was taking place, that there was a new king on the earth and they came uh, to witness this. And, and that took a lot of commitment. But uh, And we'll go on to the text. But so they, they followed the star, and, and they were following their conviction. They believed this is, this is what they were supposed to do. It says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. A couple things here. One, I don't have it underlined. But the young child there is yeah, It's not the word for baby. It's not the word for infant. And so uh, I kind of believe he's probably maybe a, a year old. Some people will say he's as old as two, and we'll see why they said that. But I'm thinking maybe, knowing Herod, I'm thinking it's probably closer to a year, all right? When they had come into the house, we see that they're not in a stable anymore. They're not in a cave. They're, they're in a, a house. It's, they're in a dwelling. And, and, and there is Mary and Jesus, right? And they fell down and worshiped. That word worship is, uh, let's, let's understand what it means, to pay homage to to pay great respect to, uh, I I I think they are recognizing it's this is a supernatural event. But for let's not mistake, let's not be mistaken in thinking they somehow understand who Jesus is fully. Mary and Joseph were trying to figure that out. They knew he was the Son of God. They knew it was miraculous. But here are these people come. They fell down. And they worshipped him. And and what we see here is really. The, the, uh, the fulfillment, par- the partial fulfillment of what God had communicated, I think it was I think it's Isaiah 60, I, I might be off on that, but it's where it talks about that the, uh, the nations were, are going to come to you, Jerusalem. They're going to they're come to you. And here we see the nations. We don't know what nation they're from, whether they're even multiple nations, but they come and they are coming to Jerusalem because the king has arrived. And they fell down. They paid homage. And it was right for them to do that because we know who Jesus is. They didn't fully know, but they still did right. But I ask you to consider this act of worship in contrast to the unwanted Jesus of the Jews. This is God's people in God's city that had God's temple, and the Son of God showed up, and they wanted nothing to do with Him. And it had to be outsiders who were brought in. And, and it, 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 it kind of helps us understand some of what Matthew's going to be t- bringing us through in the rest of the book. The nations, the Gentiles, are going to be blessed in fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through the seed of Abraham. It says, and, they went, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So, so Jesus is the worshipped king. And praise God, he is still the worshipped king. And the good news for each of us, whether, whether you've come to faith or not, this is good news. He's still the worshipped king who brings outsiders in. If you feel like you're on the outside of life, you're on the outside of faith, you're on the outside, you just, your life is unraveled and you just don't know which way to go and you, you understand there's something special about Jesus. Jesus brings outsiders in. You just have to come to faith in who he is and what he's done for you. And you can have your sins forgiven. The greatest thing that will ever happen is that there is a mourning, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, and there's a, there is a day when you can come to faith in what he did on your behalf. I was an outsider. Now I'm an insider. It doesn't give me uh, a, a leg up on you. It, re, it changes me from being part of the family of Satan to the family of God. And whether you know it or not, if you've never come to faith in Christ, you are part of the family of Satan. And that is taught very clearly in the book of Galatians. We, we've talked about that. Uh, excuse me, First John and um, and uh, so please, please, come, be part of the family of, of Christ. Next, we see that Jesus is the hated king. Now, this is where it gets a little uncomfortable, parts of this because as we talk about Jesus being the hated king, uh, hatred's a strong word, but he 's the hated king whose arrival is met with horrifying evil. There's much horrifying evil that has taken place in the world and, and, and so certainly around the the Jewish nation for sure. But Jesus is the hated king. In this text, as we go from verses 13 to 18, we see that when they had departed, this is talking about the wise men leaving without talking to Herod. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child, and his mother flee to Egypt. Okay, now talk about reminiscent of Moses Uh, And I want to encourage you, please study this text because there's so much symmetry. And I actually will probably bring it up maybe next week or the week week after, next time I preach. Uh, the next time I preach, I think uh, I, I, I'll bring. Uh, there's a little chart. Uh, chart I saw that I, I think will be helpful for you to see the similarities, uh, the parallels between Moses' life and Jesus's life in this part of the text. But he says, "Arise, take the young child Jesus and, and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Herod was not uh, was not. Uh, uh, he was not a half measured person. He went all the way, as we'll see." Uh, he's going to seek to destroy Jesus. When he arose, he's talking about Joseph, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. He didn't waste any time. He got out of uh, town that night and was there until the death of Herod. He was very obedient. We see once again the obedience of Joseph. That it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Here's another Old Testament reference. I'm choosing not to go into depth on these Old Testament references. We can do that at a separate time. But for our purposes today, we're looking at what God is doing in the life of Herod. What God is doing in the life of those in Jerusalem. When this unexpected king is announced, and he's unwanted, and he's worshipped, but he's also hated because when this news happens, the good do good, right? Joseph is, is, is trying to obey the Lord. He does what, uh, what is told. But we see the bad. We see that Herod is seeking to destroy the son and that he will eventually come out of Egypt, which is like Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. Then Herod, notice this, when he saw that he was uh, deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. Herod was angry. Now, I don't know about you, but when I am angry, there, there are limits to my anger. Herod doesn't have limits. Herod's anger, he said, he sent forth and put, to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts. Now, Bethlehem is not a large city. All right? it's, 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 it's a town. It's a hamlet. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a big place. But it does say that there is basically the Bethlehem proper, like you would think of the Boston Commons, right? That little green area in the middle. And, and its districts. In other words, those that would just be outside of the city. Uh, I've heard, of, of five kids to 15 kids to 25 kids. We're not talking about hundreds of children being sacrificed. And, and what's fascinating about this is there is, no, there is no historic record of this happening. And we're thinking, how is that possible? This is an evil, wicked deed. It's a blip on what Herod did in his life. He killed all kinds of people. History would say he is one one historian, and I'm going to forget his name. He said, better to be a a sow in in Herod's home than a son. Better to be a pig than a son because the son has less possibility of living. He killed two to three of his sons, killed his, his favorite wife, you know. He is guilty of all kinds of atrocities, which this is one of them. But it doesn't hit the the register historically because of all the other stuff that he did. He killed more than just family too. He killed many, many people. But he sent forth this edict to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts. Notice this, from two years old and under. As I said, Herod's not a half-measured person. So I think It's likely, we can't say with total confidence, but it's likely whatever age he thought it was, he went beyond. He may have even doubled it because he's going to make sure that he snuffs this out. One parallel with with Moses that I, I think I have to share to help you understand the significance of this. Pharaoh is the one that sought to kill the Jewish children. Pharaoh, king of the the empire of the time, the most, maybe one of the most powerful people in the world at the time. He sought to kill Jewish children. Now we have a new Pharaoh. His name's Herod, and he's king of the Jewish people, and he's killing Jewish children. I'd say it's unspeakable, but we're speaking it. It's, it's, it's horrifying is what it is. And we see that, that uh, we, the, the nation of Israel is in horrible circumstances at this point. So then was fulfilled what was spoken by, the, uh, by uh, Jeremiah the prophet saying, a voice uh, was heard in Ramah, lamentation weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Again, a, uh, an Old Testament prophecy that is being fulfilled. Matthew is, these are very significant. Each one of these uh, Old Testament quotations kind of conclude the section that they're talking with, and here they're talking about. And here we see the wickedness of Herod is is uh, commemorated by the fact that this prophecy was was told that there was coming this day when this was going to take place, where the Jewish king is kinging, killing Jewish children. So Jesus is the hated king, and I think you know what to expect. He is still the hated king. I don't know about you, but there is still all kinds of evil going on in the world. He's the hated king, and horrifying evil still takes place. Now, there's all kinds of wickedness that takes place, but specifically, what I'm saying is those people back in the, the time period of, of Matthew chapter 2, right? Jesus was, was uh, being hunted for who he was. Those children were being killed because of what they represented. They represented a threat. The evil that I think about today is the evil I haven't heard of recently, but I certainly have heard of in the last number of years, and that is the beheading of Christians throughout the world, but mostly through the Islamic uh, portion of our world. I would say that it's a horrifying evil. And those people are literally losing their heads because of their faith in Jesus. And so when we, when we talk about the hatred of the king, people are very happy to, to recognize our right to believe in Jesus, this nice person who we celebrated G- at Christmas with him in the manger, right? And certainly the resurrection is a beautiful thing because, you know, it talks about new life, and, and Easter eggs talk about new life. And, but, but we. We have to understand that he is hated when we present Jesus as the king, as the one who must, one must come to faith in. He who has the son has life, but he who does not have the son does not have life. And if you don't have life, you have death. And there are people in the world that hate Jesus. Now, it's a strong word, hate, Right? And it can take many forms. But I ask you to consider with what you watch, what you read, where you go, when you hear the name of Jesus, are they loving Jesus or are they hating him? They may be hating him kindly, but they're more than likely hating him. Lastly, we want to say that Jesus is the obscure king. All right? Let's look at the text. Uh, and we're going to go through this rather quickly. When Herod was dead behold an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream to Joseph he said take the child and his mother go to the land of Israel that's important that they're going to go to the land of Israel and that's exactly what Joseph does so he takes the child they go and they go to Israel yeah, and and when, when he heard that Archelaus was was reigning over Judea, you know he was concerned he had right to be concerned. Herod the Great was an amazing individual when it came to managing his kingdom and building things and all that stuff. He had all kinds of power he knew how to control that power but Archelaus' son was as ruthless as his dad, but didn 't have the the abilities of management and elsewhere, so he was really despised, and he didn 't last long. And being warned by God in a dream, Joseph turns aside and he goes to Galilee. Now that should sound familiar. And he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth. This is the 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 city of Nazareth is what I want to focus on here. As we talk about Jesus being the obscure king, with all the angelic announcements and with all the fanfare at his birth that we see in in Luke, when we get to this text, we see that he's run he's gone from from, from uh, Bethlehem to Egypt. Now he's going to Galilee, but not just Galilee, because there's, there's big cities in Galilee. He goes to Nazareth, which is a little city, an insignificant city. It is believed, it's, it's, I think in the Luke text, it says that's where Mary and Joseph are from. And so as I understand it, they came down from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the census. Jesus is born. They stay there for his eight-day uh, circumcision, uh, they stay there till after the 40 days of her purification, and they go to the temple. And that's when you have Simeon and Anna give their prophecies. And, and more than likely, we can't say, thus saith the Lord, but more than likely, they have stayed there uh, uh, for a period of time because they leave there, and ultimately, they find themselves back in Nazareth. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, plural, it wasn't just one prophet. There's no singular place where it says he shall be called a Nazarene. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't say that he will be called a Nazarene. And so that word, actually Nazarene, at the end, is disputed. It's talked about. It means the word means a branch, but and that's what Nazareth is. Is uh, is it's a Saint Nazareth, and, and the word branch are the same root. And so they they it's it's this little branch, right? It's, and so it may have some some connection with that. But they go to this place, a Nazarene, and, and, uh, and oh, this is what I was going to say. And we see that it's a place of, it's, it's not respected. In John 1, Philip was uh, from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, in the area of Galilee. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him uh, uh, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why is he saying that? Because it was, it was insignificant, not only insignificant, but it was actually disrespected. They, they, were not the, they were not the Jews of Jerusalem. They were not of note. They had no, no pedigree. There was nothing special about it. It became special after Jesus was uh, raised there, and as, as his ministry, which we'll look at in a couple weeks, as his ministry uh, was flourishing, it started there. He's Jesus, the Nazarene, right? Philip said, come and see. So, so we can talk about Jesus is the obscure king, and you may be expecting, but hopefully I catch you off guard. He is no longer the obscure king, and we're going to conclude with this. There is no way Jesus is obscure, Jesus is no longer the obscure king. His name is exalted throughout the world. We celebrate missions. We send people out all over the world. We, we pray for people all over the world. We, we bring Christ with us when we go all over the world. And his name is known across the globe. Not, not everywhere there are unreached people groups. But his name is exalted throughout the earth. And Philippians 2, 9-11 through 11 says, Therefore God also highly exalted, has highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name. So God has exalted him. He's given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus the Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus is no longer the obscure, obscure king. He needed to be obscure in Matthew 2. And he will come out of as obscurity at his baptism that we'll look at. But Jesus is the unexpected king whose arrival threatens the status quo. And my hope is, uh, by bringing this up today, that he might be threatening yours whether you're a a, a person that's never come to faith in Christ or a person that's been a a believer for many, many years, we are all prone to want to live the status quo. But when you allow Jesus in your life and you recognize that he is, as it says here, the, 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 the Christ, the Lord, and he has right to have all authority in your life, then I hope that he's threatening your status quo. Jesus is unwanted, he's hated, he's ignored by many in this world. We should just not be those people. How are, we, how are you responding to the truth about Jesus? We invite you to worship him with us. We're going to sing here in just a moment a song. I'm not sure what the song is. I forget, actually. But any song that we sing is, is trying to convey the truth of what God is teaching in his word. And I hope that, I really, I, don't, I didn't look. I forgot to look and see what the song is, but I'm trusting that God will bless as you sing. I pray that you would sing in faith and, 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 and ask yourself, who is Jesus to you? Are you worshiping him today? I pray that you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the joy that it brings to our heart to know that your plan includes calling sinners to repentance, of providing a means of forgiveness through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, of proving your power over sin and death by resurrecting him on the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures. He has ascended into heaven. He is coming again. And Father, we, we proclaim our faith in him today. And for all those who who have already trusted in Christ, we can say amen and amen. But Father, there are those that may not know Christ. And we pray, Father, that as they wrestle with what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower, Lord, I pray that you would bring to their mind the areas of life that would be disrupted by coming to faith in your Son. And Father, I pray that as they wrestle with that, They would see the foolishness of continuing on without him as their Savior. And that they would humble themselves, receive the free gift of salvation that is extended by your grace. And Lord, we pray that they would get saved. Father, we thank you for your word and for the encouragement it gives us. We pray that we would not only worship you in this moment, but we would worship you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.